Last week we saw in the final chapter of Romans the, the great depth of, of work that the women did within the early church and how Paul congratulated them and encouraged them to do that and to carry on in that work and how important it is that women have their proper place in the church when I look around the world today and especially with that video when we went to India and we saw the plight of women in India you know it really is Jesus Christ that has set you free ladies it's, it's only in Christ that you can know a freedom there are many women in the world who are when their husband dies they, they, they burn the body and they throw the wife onto the fire with it you know whether they want to or not and it's a, it's a dreadful situation that many women find themselves in and so when we go into a sort of new session if we want to call it in, a, in three or four weeks time when everybody's back from holiday I was going to start a big study in Matthew I'd actually thought about starting it this week but I thought well when, I was hold off and uh, when I thought about women I thought about we might do a study in one of the women in the Bible and if you want to open your Bibles to the book of Esther um, we'll have a look at Esther today because you know in the light of all that's happening in the current situation in Israel and the fact that this has been going on since the founding of Israel in 1948 that they've been at war literally with every country that surrounds them there have been many attempts to eradicate the Jews over the years Hitler was the most, probably the most recent one where he tried to virtually eradicate all of the Jews out of Europe and yet when we look at that whole situation it's very rarely said and it's very rarely reported that Stalin in Russia actually killed more Jews than Hitler did and it's, uh, it's, to, it's to our shame that we push it under the carpet because Stalin was supposed to be our friend our ally so in view of the current situation in Israel and, and in times past there were plots and, and Esther basically covers a plot to exterminate all the Jews within the Persian Empire Esther's the last of the sort of historical books if you want to call it that within the, the Old Testament you then go into the sort of poetry and prophetic books but many people think that the Bible is a, is a book full of fairy stories and and in this book in particular I want to sort of do a bit of history on it because if I show you the real characters who surround this situation then maybe it will give you an indication as to the reality that is God Almighty the reality that is Jesus Christ Esther is one of these books where God is never mentioned the name of God is never mentioned in the book Esther neither is prayer neither is worship neither is any form of, of adoration to God mentioned at all and yet God's fingerprints are all over it so I want to encourage you this morning that if you're in that situation where you think that God's not in it with you that somehow or other he's deserted you or left you God watches over you know he neither slumbers nor sleeps the God who watches over Israel watches over his people the word Esther translates to the word Venus as we would know it the morning star Venus although it's called the morning star we know it to be a planet of course and it's the last it's the last star that's visible after sunrise 
Venus is still in the sky just after sunrise. All the other stars get blanked out by the sun, but Venus can still be seen just after sunrise. It's still visible after sunrise. And so this was Esther. Esther, who was, was a Jewess, who was living in a captive situation in Babylon. Let's read the first few verses and, and we'll go into this a little bit more. So Esther chapter 1 at verse 1. This is what happened during the time of Xerxes. The Xerxes who ruled over 127 provinces stretching from India to Cush. At that time King Xerxes reigned from his royal throne in the citadel of Susa or Shushan. And in the third year of his reign he gave a banquet for all his nobles and officials, the military leaders of Persia and Medea, the princes and the nobles of the provinces were present. So Susa or Shushan, as it's more commonly known, it was a winter palace. It was a great citadel that was built about 150 miles north of the top of the Persian Gulf. There's been a lot of archaeological work done there and they think that they've actually found uh, Shushan, this great citadel and palace that was built for the Persian kings. And this Xerxes is the Xerxes who followed uh, Darius or, or Cyrus onto the throne. If you remember from some of the biblical history that I've given you before that Babylon fell, Cyrus captured Babylon um, after the, the, the children of Israel had been taken captive into Babylon. Cyrus captured Babylon and, uh, and the Persian and the Medes set up their empire. And then Cyrus, or Darius as he was called, one of the two, he died and this is his son Xerxes who's now on the throne of the Persian Empire. It's a huge empire. It was the largest known empire in the world. It took in what we would term modern day Pakistan, Afghanistan, Turkey, Lebanon, Syria, Iraq, Iran, Egypt, Sudan, Libya, and right across as far as Algeria in some measure. It was a huge empire. The other empire that was on the rise at that point in time was the Greek Empire. Ahasuerus is a name that's given in some of the translations for this king. Uh, Xerxes is the Persian name that you would give him. Ahasuerus is the Hebrew name that they put to it. To put this in context, if you read uh, Nehemiah chapter 2, you'll find that Artaxerxes is mentioned, but Nehemiah was ministering to this guy's son some 48 years later. Uh, And he was was still ministering in Shushan. He was the the, the cupbearer to the king. That was King Artaxerxes. Artaxerxes just means son of Xerxes, basically. So Artaxerxes would come after this king who was here in Esther's time. And 48 years later, Nehemiah would get the call to go back to Jerusalem. And it would be Artaxerxes whom he would ask to go back to, to Jerusalem. Daniel himself, who was taken captive by Nebuchadnezzar in 605 BC. He's mentioned in Shushan. He mentions it in his own book in Daniel chapter 8. And that would be around 539 BC. And remember the, 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 
That was at the time of the King Belshazzar. That was just at the end of the, 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 the reign of the Babylonians. Belshazzar had taken all the, the implements that Nebuchadnezzar had captured from the Lord's temple in Jerusalem, from Solomon's temple. And he was misusing them at a feast. There was talk that they were using them to, to urinate and to vomit in and all sorts of things. And there was all sorts of things being, being done with these these things that were brought from the temple of the Lord. And at that point in time, the finger on the wall appeared, the writing on the wall. The, 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 you know, you can just picture all the torches flickering and Belshazzar sitting there drunk as a skunk. And, and, and the finger comes to the wall, meaning, meaning, tekel so far, and you know, and, uh, and uh, nobody knows what it means. And they sent for Daniel, and Daniel says, your time's up, boy. You know, this will be over, but tomorrow you will no longer be king. And Belshazzar laughed at him. And it was that night, little did uh, Belshazzar know that, that Cyrus, or Darius, the, the Persian king, he was diverting the whole river Euphrates away from Babylon because it flowed under the walls and, and right through the city. And there was a great iron grid to guard it so that nobody could get in. But Cyrus, when he diverted the river, allowed his soldiers to get under the grid and they took the, they took the city by stealth. There was hardly a blow struck. But truly the word of God was true. That Belshazzar was told, by tomorrow you won't be king. And by the morrow he was not king. Cyrus and the Persians had captured the city. And so Cyrus reigned and, and Daniel ministered to Cyrus in, in Shushan all of those years ago. And uh, Ezra was the same. Ezra had to come and speak to, uh, to King Artaxerxes, the same king that would follow this, to, so that he could go back to Jerusalem. He went back some 23 years uh, after this point in time. Now this point in time here, if you're still with me, it's 483 BC. This is when this feast took place. We know that by the, we know that from the Bible just by the fact that you know they tell us that in the twentieth year of King Artaxerxes and all the rest of these that, that there's timelines. And these were real people, and that's the point I want to get across to you this morning. These are real people. This is not a fairy story that somebody made up. This is a real actual event that occurred at that point in time. The problem the problem I always see with God is that he only tells you the bits that actually affect his nation, Israel. He never tells you the bits that are going on in the, in the bit outside, you know, that, that, that might influence it. He tells you the, the crux of the story and then he leaves you to find the rest of it out for yourself. Seek my face, O God, says the Lord, and I will reveal myself to you. Now, the reason that all these people were gathered together was for, a, was for a feast or a banquet. Now we're going to find out shortly that this banquet was going to last six months. Now whether, whether it was the fact that, that many people were coming from all over this empire and it took them virtually months to get there or not, it, it, we're unsure. But certainly there was a rollover feast that kept going for about six months. Now, in 483 BC, in another three years' time, Xerxes would take an army against the Greeks. In 480 BC, Xerxes took probably one of the greatest armies in size-wise that was ever known on earth. 
Herodotus, the, the Greek historian, uh, tells us that the army may have numbered two and a half million men. It was a huge army. And it was not just composed of a land army, there was a, there was a navy as well. And the navy fought a battle, and the land army fought a battle. And although the land army actually managed to win their battle, the navy was defeated. And if you're interested in, in uh, films, and you've watched the film The 300, that was the Battle of Thermopylae. That was, uh, that was when Xerxes was held back for about three weeks from getting any further. The Greek army were not ready to go to battle. So they were held back for about three weeks while, the, while the, the Greek army got itself sorted out and ready to fight the Persians. The only problem was, of course, that it's a bit of Hollywood fiction. There were more than 300 people at Thermopylae. There were probably nearer a thousand. There were 300 Spartans. That was about all you could say about it. There were 300 Spartans under Leonidas, the king. So this, this feast, by all accounts, three years prior to this battle at Thermopylae, this great invasion or attempted invasion of, of Greece, this feast was there to plan the invasion. This was him gathering all these people from all over. How many troops can you supply? And the logistics of the thing, you can imagine trying to assemble an army of two and a half million people and all of the ships that would be required to take them. So it would take a bit of planning. So the best thoughts are that this, this, uh, this feast that took place in 483 BC in Shushan was there to plan this, uh, this invasion. When we think about it, and we think about the Commonwealth Games coming up, you know, I was just having a look at it. Greece was at its, the height of its power at that point in time. The Greek and the Persian empires were always clashing at this point in time. But right at this point in time, in 483 BC, Greece was, was celebrating the 79th Olympic Games. Uh, the ancient Olympics. This was their 79th Olympic Games that they were celebrating. So it kind of brings it into focus about what was happening there in Greece. So basically the Lord tells us through the book of Esther that there was a great feast, but there was a lot going on on the outside, a lot happening around it. So verse 4 it says, For a full 180 days he displayed, that is, Xerxes displayed the vast wealth of his kingdom and the splendor and glory of his majesty. I mean, this was basically eating and drinking for six months. Some party, it's this, this, this. I don't know who paid for it. It was probably the public purse that paid for it, but uh, nobody was prepared to stand against Xerxes. But it is possible that all of these people coming from all over the provinces, from away as far as India and away as far as excuse me, is West Africa. Um, it would take them time to get there, so it was a kind of rolling feast that people just came in and enjoyed and left again after they had their orders. And at verse 5, when these days were over, in other words, when, when that six months had passed, the king gave a banquet lasting seven days in the enclosed garden of the king's palace for all the people from the least to the greatest who were in the citadel of Susa or Shushan. The garden had hangings of white and blue linen. Now, I was quite amused at this because when I looked up for white and blue linen and the hangings they put in the walls, apparently they had big high ceilings like this to allow plenty of air to flow through the place. But just like here, halfway up, there was a kind of rail and they, they hung decorations from them, blue and white curtains and stuff like that. And 
the thing is that when you read the Hebrew for this the, the white and blue linen is talked about as white stuff and blue stuff so it was obviously a man that wrote this you know it was a I mean, women wouldn't you write about white stuff and blue stuff but, but men would you know just, what was the place like it's kind of white stuff and blue stuff in it, you know? and they were fastened with cords of white linen and purple material to silver rings on marble pillars there were couches of gold and silver on a mosaic pavement or porphyry Mar- marble, mother of pearl and other costly stones so you can just picture this place with a marble floor, marble pillars all these decorations the place must have been an absolutely fabulous place I mean, this, this was the palace of the king of Persia this was Xerxes palace and so it was described as at verse 7 wine was served in goblets of gold each one different from the other and the royal wine was abundant in keeping with the king's liberality I mean I just can't figure out the number of cups or wine glasses you would need to, to keep these people going or the amount of wine you would have to serve I mean the, 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 just the logistics you organised in the feast never mind the war that he was going to have with the Greeks uh, just beggars belief at verse 8 it says by the king's command each guest was allowed to drink with no restrictions now that doesn't mean to say that they could just drink till they were totally hammered. It was just in the first feast or the first banquet they had, this six monthly thing, there was a there was a toast put around everybody that was there and they all had to drink the toast. And then maybe somebody else would put a toast round so the glasses were all filled again and they all had to drink the toast again and if you failed to drink the toast apparently you were out of the party (laughs) you get flung out but not in this second this seven day feast men were allowed to drink as they wished in other words if you didn't want to drink too much fine if you wanted to drink a lot fine and I don't know why that was but it seemed to be a custom in the country that when this huge feast, when all these military people were there, they, had, they literally had a round of drinks, and if you missed a round, you were out of the party. That was just, you were, you were uh, sent to bed with a couple of aspirin. So, wine was served in goblets of gold. By the king's command, each guest was allowed to drink with no restrictions. For the king had instructed all the wine stewards to serve each man what he wished. So we've got this great party going on. And then we're going to find out, verse 9 here, very quickly, Queen Vashti also gave a banquet for the women in the royal palace of King Xerxes. So the place must have been huge to accommodate all of these people. And uh, all the men were together. And all the women were together. And that tends to be something that, in some measure, still happens today in these eastern countries. The men do their own thing and the women do their own thing even when I was in India you wouldn't have a congregation sitting like this you would all be sitting on the floor for a start and all the women would be on this side and all the men would be on this side and the children would be with the women the women were not allowed to sit with the men it wasn't a case of it was, it was just a, it was a case of subjugation it was a case that the culture was such and, and slowly but surely the gospel for Asia people are trying to change that cultural thing to bring the, the plight of women up uh, into the headlines a wee bit more so men and women 
were separate and certainly if you go to many of the, the, the hardline Muslim countries in the Middle East and in, in the Far East at the moment they're, they're, uh, the women are treated ab- abysmally I mean there's no question or doubt about it I know that the stories that come out of Afghanistan when the Taliban were in charge at that point in time that women had to wear the full burqa and they were, they were to wear it in the street and the temperature may have been upwards to 50 degrees centigrade and you had this literally this tent put on top of you and if a woman went to a shop she had to look from the street inside the shop to make sure that there was somebody else in the shop because if it was only a man in the shop she wasn't allowed to get in she had to shout her order through the door putting the milk in a loaf I mean it was it's terrible the way these people are treated it's, it's just not right anyway Verse 10, on the seventh day, when King Xerxes was in high spirits from wine, he commanded the seven eunuchs who served him, Mahuman, Bithsa, Harbona, Bictha, Abictha, Zathar, and Carcass, to bring before him Queen Vashti, wearing her royal crown, in order to display her beauty to the people and nobles, for she was lovely to look at. But when the attendants delivered the king's command, Queen Vashti refused to come, and then became the king became furious and burned with anger. It's a, it's a nice euphemism when the king was in high spirits from wine. He was drunk. He was just out of his face with a drink. It would appear, by all accounts that I can figure out, that there seems to have been some banter going around amongst the men uh, in beside the king about which region had the most beautiful women. And of course... The king said, well, there's nobody more beautiful than my wife, and I'll prove it. I'll bring her out here and let you see her. The implication and the way the thing's put together here is that he was asking Vashti to come naked into this melee, this drunken rabble. Vashti was to appear naked and she refused. Of all the people, of all the people to ask at this point in time to do that, I mean, it was just unheard of the queen of Persia to appear naked before a drunken rabble was just something that was a no-no I mean she was one of these people that very few people rarely saw she was one of these people that was hidden away I mean when when you became the, the queen of Persia you were literally secluded you were put away I mean it was you were held at the king's command in some measure you were in prison these seven eunuchs that he had these were the keepers of the the, the royal harem now there may have been five or six hundred women in the royal harem and and Vashti was the queen who was at that point in time the king's favourite but a woman could be pulled off the street because she was a beautiful woman and she could be put in the king's harem and that was her for life she was stuck there, that was it there was no way out for her there was no way back for her so Vashti refused to appear naked before the king. It was a ridiculous request. It was a drunken request and she refused it. And the sense that we get from the way that that's worded there, the king was incensed. He was, he was ballistic. He, was, he couldn't believe that the queen had refused his offer or his command. Now Vashti was no follower of her true God as we know it. But she knew what was wrong. And she had wisdom and modesty. 
to refuse. The Bible tells us that wives should submit to their husbands, but not obey them when they're asked to do something wrong. For us who are husbands in here today, or would be future husbands, a wife's respect is earned. If a wife only respects you because she fears you, then it's no worth having. A wife's respect is earned. And unfortunately, Xerxes' um, idea of respect for his wife was uh, sadly misplaced. And you know, unfortunately today we see again young women putting themselves in dangerous situations, especially where alcohol is involved. They parade themselves before galleries of drunken youths who just want to take advantage of them. Women, the Bible tells us, should be modest in their dress and avoid immodest situations. Surely women with any self-respect would never put herself up for public display to a drunken rabble. And yet today, unfortunately, many do because of the problem with alcohol. It was a totally unreasonable request that Xerxes had put upon Vashti. But you know, I was looking up some research on, on Xerxes and the guy was a cracker. I mean, he was, he was a totally unreasonable character. He had asked a group of builders to build a, a bridge across a, a sea channel. It was a, you know, a sort of inlet. He wanted a bridge built across this inlet. And it was half built and a great storm came and knocked the bridge down. So he killed the bridge builders. And then he chained the sea and whipped it to punish it for knocking down his bridge. That kind of gives you some idea as to the, the, the cloud cuckoo land that this guy lived in. But that's, you know, that's what happens to people with absolute power. I mean, it just goes to their head. They, 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 they come into a situation where they think that, that nothing that they say or do is wrong. We have the same situation occurring today with this cult of personalities, the celebrity that we, we put forward in our society. That, that we revere people to such an extent that, that they take it on board, they believe their own publicity and think that they can do no wrong. And then we end up with fallen idols. You know, we only need to look at the recent paedophile scandal and the ongoing paedophile scandal with major celebrities in the past, people who we, who we exalted, people who we thought were great guys. That, and now we've found the truth of it. That the heart of man is black in wickedness and who would know it? Only Christ can change your heart. Only Christ can bring you to that place where your sin is washed away. And so, there's a great upheaval. Vashti's been sent for. These seven eunuchs have been sent into the, to the women's harem to bring Vashti. And Vashti said, there's no way I'm appearing naked before a drunken rabble with nothing but the crown in my head. Go back and tell Xerxes, I am not doing it. And so since it was customary, verse 13, for the king to consult experts in matters of the law and justice, he spoke with the wise men who understood the times and were closest to the king. Kashina, Shetha, Admatha, Tarshish, Meresh, Marcina, and Mimumkin. The seven nobles of Persia and Media who had special access to the king and were the highest in the kingdom. These people we would probably know better in the New Testament times as Magi. 
and people who came from the east to visit the baby Jesus there's a lot of reasonable evidence a lot of conjecture as well that it was Daniel who actually put this whole idea in place about a star that would appear and, and that men from the east that the, these magi would be schooled by Daniel and by Daniel's successors and the fact that you have to keep an eye open for this star to appear because when this star appears the, the, there's, there's going to be the Messiah the, the, the change of the world the great Messiah would come to save the world and so we find in the New Testament that, that the Magi saw the star and, and, and these people these people who were in Persia these would be one of the descendants of the Magi these would be the people who knew what Daniel was talking about when he spoke about it in, in the book of Daniel if you want to read about it now that's, that's probably enough heresy for today so we'll just stick to the scripture so these seven nobles and at verse 15 according to the law what must be done to Queen Vashti he asked that's Xerxes she has not obeyed the command of the king Xerxes that the eunuchs had taken to her now the fact that this was happening it was happening simultaneously I mean, this was not something that, that they waited till everybody was sobered up and uh, things had kind of calmed down and the dust had settled this was a decision taken on the spot because all of these people were there all of these people were watching Xerxes what are you going to do? Vashti's refused to come and appear before you this woman is, is usurping your authority what are you going to do? and of course all of these wise men or magi not so wise when they were as drunk as they were but according to the law what must be done she has not obeyed the command of the king there was actually no law that she had broken but this proud king demanded action he, he wanted something done about it and so one of his magi, one of his wise men came up with a plan then at verse 16 Mamukin replied in the presence of the kings and the nobles Queen Vashti has done wrong not only against the king but also against all the nobles and the peoples of all the provinces of King Xerxes for the queen's conduct will become known to all the women and so they will despise their husbands and say King Xerxes commanded Queen Vashti to be brought before him but she would not come this very day the Persian and Median women of the nobility who have heard about the queen's conduct will respond to all the king's nobles in the same way there will be no end of disrespect and discord now what does that sound like a group of drunken men looking after their own interests there's no question that women were held in subjugation and in any form or fashion if the queen can get away with it then we can get away with it and so verse 19 it says therefore if it pleases the king let him issue a royal decree and let it be written in the laws of Persia and Media which cannot be repealed that Vashti is never again to enter the presence of King Xerxes also let the king give her royal position to someone else who is better than she then when the king's edict is proclaimed throughout all this vast realm all the women will respect their husbands from the least to the greatest again we see here now We've got to understand with the Persian Empire and even the Babylonian Empire before it, when the king made a decree, it was absolute. It could not be taken back. It could not be repealed. And that was one of the situations that, that, that uh, King Darius found himself in with Daniel. 
that uh, he couldn't take it back once he had said that, that if, if anybody prayed to any other god but him then they would be thrown to the lions and so they held him to it and, and he couldn't repeal it so God had to step in and we see here because we know the story because most of us know the story about, about Esther becoming the queen and, and, and using her to, to, to stop the plot against the Jews we're seeing here the very kernel of it, the very seed of it being planted, God knows what he's doing here that Vashti should not be queen anymore she should not be allowed to come into the king's presence she would then be banished to the harem and that would be her she would have no male contact after that apart from the eunuchs and the eunuchs, the kings didn't trust men to go near their women so they literally emasculated them and they became the eunuchs who looked after the women in the harem so she would never again of the company of men she would be stuck in that harem along with women for the rest of her life and that in some measure is, uh, is just the way it was in those days so the kings and the nobles were pleased with this advice at verse 21 so the king did as Mamukin proposed he sent dispatches to all parts of the kingdom to each province in its own script and to each people in their own language proclaiming that every man should be ruler over his own household using his native tongue so all the sort of different diverse tongues that were used across this empire they had people sitting writing out these, these uh, edicts and they're being sent by probably horse or, or camel to all the outlying provinces or maybe even by ship might have been faster the idea here of a man being the priest in his own household is admirable and biblical with two people in a marriage being equal with each other but having different roles in the marriage but the drunken motives of these men speak of repression and abuse as far as I'm concerned and so the scene is set for a new queen to be picked and although we never see God in this book we never hear his name mentioned we never hear any worship or prayer going up like in our lives He's always present. He's always there. And that's what I want to encourage you with here. Nobody knew in advance what was coming here. Nobody knew the terrible danger that the whole Jewish nation were in. But God knew. And God started to put things in place. It might have seemed a tragedy that Queen Vashti was put off her throne and, and, and put away into the harem it might have seemed a tragedy that King Xerxes had treated his wife in such a bad way but God knew what Xerxes was like and he used that to bring about a tremendous deliverance for the Jewish people and if you're worried about where God is in your life today he's right there beside you in fact those of you who know Jesus as Lord and Saviour he's right there inside you he walks with you and he talks with you every step of the way you might at times think God where are you even Jesus when he hung on the cross cried out my God my God why have you forsaken me where are you and yet he was always there and he always will be there and if you believe his word then his word says that God will work all things to the good to those that love him and are called according to his purpose and that indeed would be what would happen over these next few chapters that's the scene set that's this, this scene set Shushan, the palace of Shushan is where all of this uh, 
all of this drama would be worked out and God would work it and play the characters and bring the characters up and put the characters down they needed to be there at that time and that was one of the things that people always talk about in the book of Esther that Esther was put in that place for such a time as this and we're going to see that as we go on over these next few chapters in Esther over these next few weeks so don't be concerned sometimes if you don't see God working in your life or you think he's not there he's there all the time his fingerprints are all over your life let's pray Father we just thank you and praise you for your goodness and for your grace and your mercy we thank you for this little book Lord the book of Esther Lord this historical record of how you rescued the Jews but Lord you rescued them because you had people in place that were willing to do your will willing to put their own lives in the line to save your people and Lord I thank you for that I thank you that there are people here even today Lord who are willing to put their lives in the line to proclaim the name of Jesus and all around the world Father in places even where this Persian Empire was in Afghanistan and in Iran and Iraq Lord where women are put to the bottom of the pile Lord you're going to show how you can use a woman to bring deliverance into this situation so we thank you today Lord we thank you for each other we thank you for, for we thank you for rescuing women from such a terrible fate Lord and we pray that you'll continue to do that across the world as your gospel is spread and as equality and unity is brought into your people there's only one race in this earth Lord and that's the human race and we have to remember that Father so be with us in all that we do for we do ask it in Jesus name Amen.